This edition of Farm in the Countryside is brought to you by Pivot BioProven. Get what you paid for, the nitrogen that stays put, whether or not. Learn more at pivotbio.com. Welcome to Farm in the Countryside. I'm Andrew McRae. In 2020, this segment of the food industry grew by over 10%. In fact, the growth over the past decade has been 10% compounded annually. What lessons can we learn, and should you have a part in the growing trend? Plus, we'll get some of the latest data on using cover crops to assist with weed suppression and fertility. What have we learned from trials comparing tillage, no-till, and cover crops? Those are our topics for this week's Farm in the Countryside, and it's brought to you by Pivot Bioproven. For the past two years, I've had a chance to use a new corn nitrogen product firsthand in my fields, Pivot Bioproven. Pivot Bioproven adheres to the root of the corn plant, creating a mutually beneficial nitrogen-generating partnership that stays strong all the way through harvest. It's a weather-resistant and sustainable way to achieve more predictable and productive yields than ever before. In 2021, we're replacing some of our synthetic nitrogen by using Pivot Bioproven. We're looking at how Pivot Bioproven can supply corn with the nitrogen it needs throughout the season. That hopefully means the use of less synthetic nitrogen in the future. And with tightening margins in 2022, that will save us money while still supplying the corn the nutrients it needs. Pivot Bioproven may change the way you think about nitrogen. Learn more at pivotbio.com. I was recently in Atlanta, Indiana for Becknology Days. Bex always has a very impressive lineup of speakers, field trials, and research for folks to see. You may have noticed that I teased this week's show by asking what segment of the food industry is growing by 10% compounded annually over the last decade. The answer has a lot to do with a fast-growing segment of the seed research at Bex. David Ross is brand manager for Great Harvest Organics, a part of Bex that began in the early 2000s. Some people may roll their eyes at organics or immediately tune out, believing it's not anything they're interested in doing on their farm. Regardless if you may be looking at a switch to organics, the research, both on the farm and with consumers, is both compelling and interesting and holds a lot of lessons for all of us, both on the farm and in the countryside. We did this interview in the test plots with David as he shared how the company is developing technology in the rapidly growing segment of the food industry. Actually, Great Harvest Organics was first founded by Scott Beck, in 2001. It was an idea, I think, that Scott said, uh, boy, I, I see a market out there that, um, that we need to serve, and started back at that, at that point, maybe two or three hundred units, very, very small company. And uh, since then, that business has just grown exponentially with, with the business, the, the certified organic business. Why do you think customers are so interested in organics? So why are customers interested, so interested at this point in organics? I think it's primarily, if I had to, to describe who those individuals were, it would be millennials. And I think millennials are involved in this because they feel there are health benefits to organic. Uh, I think also they want to have a share in the transparency and the, the a commitment to agriculture, though they probably don't know very much about agriculture. They probably live in a city like Chicago or New York or Los Angeles or something like that, but, but they love that transparency. They want to know where their food comes from. Uh, I think that's what's driving it. Talk about the farmers that are growing. 
is there a particular type of farmer that's doing this or are they doing conventional and then doing organic on the side or who are the folks that you're working with mostly? Great question. I think there are really three kinds of farmers that, that I see. I see those that might be doing it for uh, religious reasons as part of a directive they'd like to follow there. The other one would be a, a group of people that are professional farmers where I might be the son of a, of a large farmer who wants to get his start. They're looking for diversity. And in that they say, I'll grow a little bit of traded, I'll grow a little bit of non-GMO, and I'll grow a little bit of organic and take part in all three of those markets to give themselves a broader platform. And then there are, there, there's a group of people, though the smallest probably group of those, that say, hey, I, I want the opportunity to, to take part in this agriculture thing and, and, um, and change the world on the acres that I own. So there are really three different people there. So you're definitely on the research production side of this. There's lots of demand out there. So what are the big hurdles or the challenges that you find in being able to grow the acres and the, and the crop that we need to meet the demand? So in terms of seed production, I think that's the, the question that you'd ask me about is, and how, how do we supply the seed that's there based on the, the big growth that we've had? It has been the ticklish part. Uh, I would say that the most difficult parts are growing true single crosses in an organic format. And, and the, the, the dilemma there is you push down a mail row and in that mail row would grow weeds and corn doesn't like competition, especially inbred corn, true single crosses, and that can hurt yield. So I think that's the dilemma that we've had, the, had to overcome is row cultivation and different types of weed control practices. The other one would be fertility. Inbreds, when they're growing, tend to be a weaker, smaller plant. If you've seen them from the road, they need lots of extra help. And in this case, it has to be manual help, either row cultivation or trying to spoon feed them. So side dressing and things like that of organic fertility has been important on this side. So, Talk about the weed control specifically for a moment. There is a big difference between corn and soybeans, but maybe you want to talk about both a little bit. Uh, how do you master the weed control? So the two big issues in organic are weed control and fertility, as I mentioned before. And, and weed control is a very, very vital part of this. And it's about timing and it's about having multiple options we've found. Most weed control today on corn and soybeans, at least in 30 inch rows, has been with iron. And we had some pieces of equipment down the way that you could see where you're row cultivating, like your father used to do back in the pre-80s. Um, the other ways I think that are, try are coming into play now are things like cover crops, where we roll and crimp cereal rye in the case of soybeans and use it as a, as a mulch over the top to prevent weed uh, pressure. Those have been somewhat successful and we limit row cultivation in that case. On corn, we're still working on that. And it's one of those things that we really, we believe as an industry, we need to be on the forefront. There's a speaker that will come uh, here and speak at Technology Days, Rick Clark, who will talk about regenerative agriculture. And that's a key part of that for him is to figure out ways that we can control weeds through cover crops in crops like corn. Soybeans, we're getting there sooner, but I think corn's the next one to be, uh, to be taken care of. So it's safe to say right now the cover crops, the soybeans are far ahead of the, the corn and we're still trying to figure out the corn with the cover crops? Yes, and, and I think that's due to the, the type of plant that corn and soybeans are. Corn not liking competition so much and we introduce competition by putting in a cover crop. That, that's the dilemma that, that's been difficult for that. I think down the road it's either a strip till or a minimum tillage of some sort on corn 
that is going to be the, the true weed control practice. And cover crops, without question, are going to be part of that. You mentioned fertility is the other challenge. So how are you, in a sense, overcoming that challenge? So the fertility piece of that is majority of what we use today in production, certified organic agriculture, corn and soybean wise, mainly corn on the fertility side because it, it loves N, is we're going to use manures. And today it would mainly be poultry manure. It's light, easy to transport, although there are many here in the Midwest that will empty the pit or use, uh, use liquid manure from, from a hog facility. And there's no requirements on whether that's GMO or not necessarily. It's about availability and what's put into those mixes. So that's what's used today. I think down the road there are going to be more and more OMRI or OMRI approved uh, true analysis nitrogen sources available for us, though those are still on the forefront. You mentioned GMOs there. For the most part, this organics, non-GMO, is that what you are working with? Yeah, so uh, all the hybrids we would use on the corn side, so a 62E2 in this case is a 6282BEX. So I'll use the same males and females on the breeding side. It's just uh, there's no traits involved, no Roundup Ready or, or whatnot. And the same would be said for soybeans. So we're using the modern breeding and, and ha hybrids and varieties. Uh, we're just not having the, the genetic traits there. How far have you seen this advance just in the time you've been here? Because I try to follow this. It looks like you're, you're growing. Oh my goodness. Uh, so growth, just over the last year, 13.5% during COVID. And maybe that's some of that's the, the, the fact that the consumer staying home and is taking a closer look and wants transparency on his, his or her food. But this thing has grown compounded annual growth rate of over 10% for the last 10 years. I mean, this, that is a crazy kind of growth. And it's primarily due to a large millennial audience. Again, there's lots of them and lots of buying power. I mean, they've got lots of money to spend, and they're spending it on things like quality foods. So that, that's really the kind of growth we've seen. You expect that to continue, don't you? The, the future looks very bright here. Here's the thing I would look at a millennial audience. Millennial audiences are young now, no children. What will happen? What's the vision going to be like when they have two or three children? They're likely going to feed their children organic, and therefore that's going to grow that market. So I, I see the future to look very bright. What are you learning from the organic side then that you're transferring over to the conventional side? Because I think we're always looking to learn from each other. You know, it, it's funny that you say that. I, I think it, it, it crosses the, the fence both ways. So cover crops is, really came from folks who were looking to hang on to soil on the conventional side. And then we came back and thought, hmm, if they're using cereal rye there, why wouldn't that make sense for us to use that as a, a cover crop in the organic side? So they do cross both ways. As we find out new ideas, they run over to the cover crop side and the conventional, and guys will find and say, you know what, that's working for me too. They have a reason for doing that because they want to reduce pesticides they can use because it's a cost situation. Do you think for most farmers that are doing this now, when they make the switch to organics, have they tended to stay with that then? Because it is a steep learning curve in some cases. It is, it is a steep learning curve. and, and a, a reasonably costly one. It's a 36-month transition period from when one would go from conventional agriculture to certified organic. That seems long. That would be, for example, that would have taken place in this year, the day after I made my last fungicide application, say, at, at VT on corn. 
the next day would the clock would start ticking. So it's not actually three years, it's 36 months. But what I see is this, is a person that are looking at this or, 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 or need to look at this long term. One would say, well, right now, why would I want to, why would I want to transition out of, of corn when corn's $5.50? It's a perfect time to transition. Because if I go through that transition, if I'm growing corn during the transitional period, I'll get paid $5.50 versus $4.10. So my, my option, of trend, because here's the other side of it is, do I think that that high price is going to hold on the conventional side? As supply goes up, probably not. I mean, it, 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 it's a true market there. So I, I will tell you also that the typical transition rate or the value rate Corn is about 2.3 times what what is on the conventional side. So, if it's a one, if it was a one dollar bushel of corn, organic would be two dollars and thirty cents. So right now, organic corn sells for around ten dollars a bushel. Organic soybeans are just over thirty dollars a bushel. So there's real money to be made there. But I think also the thing that many people forget is they're willing to pay you 2.3 times more because it's 2.3 times more risky. Is it 2.3 times the work as well? Because I'm making more passes. If you know, you mentioned. Yeah, that. there's no question. I mean, I will. I will say that this is not not plant it and hook up the motorhome. This is. I mean, you're going to be stuck row cultivating like you did back in the late 70s, and a lot of worries and a lot of concerns and a lot of things that that are maybe less in control. So I, I think for those reasons, yeah, it, it you're or get the organic guys out there row cultivating into July. Talk about technology days. What are you showing folks here that you've been doing trials on? What are some of those things that you've been looking at? So kind of to, to mirror some of the things we talked about earlier, we're bringing uh, organic farmers here to Technology Days to look at things like nitrogen studies, planting date studies on organic. Um, we're looking at different weed control structures on soybeans and corn. We're, we're also looking at a, at a show plot so you can say that, hey, the, the genetics are there, the potential is there for you to make yield and make money. But on the other side of that, we're looking at those things having to do with weed control and fertility. There's some product studies as well that I think what we want to do is say, hey, vet out for those customers. There are a lot of products in the organic market because of the value that need proper vetting. And we at, at Beck Cybers don't have a, a dog in that hunt, so to speak. So it gives us a chance to vet those out and say, hey, here's an option for you. Folks that are interested in this, this is part of the practical farm research. Anybody can see this research, right? Yeah, all the organic studies are part of PFR. David mentioned the PFR at the end of the interview. That's the practical farm research that Beck shares with all producers each year. I'd encourage you to look at it. There's a mountain of data they share each year on all kinds of things. In fact, we've made changes on our farm based on the data they collect from locations across the country. In the second half of this week's show, we're talking about tillage, no-till, and cover crops. Depending on where you live, one of those may be the choice for many. Ryan Moore manages forages and cover crops at Beck's. He also farms in central Indiana and puts his research to the test on his acres. I think you'll enjoy what he's learned and how the research may impact the choices we make on our farm acres. Like my interview with David, we were out in the test plots, so you'll notice the sounds of equipment moving the field from time to time. You're farming just north of here. Talk about your farm, first of all. So we farm just north of here in Tipton County, probably one of the flatter counties in the state, in my opinion. Uh, my dad and I farm together. Uh, we're 100% no-till cover crop on that farm. We are doing some strips of tillage versus cover crop. We're doing, oh, 120-foot strips four times. We rep that of tillage, 
and we do the same thing with cover crop no-till. Just evaluating the overall, um, not just yield, but soil health benefits is that as well. Why did you decide to go with no-till and cover crops? Are a lot of people around you doing that, or was this totally different than a lot of neighbors? Yeah, it's definitely different than a lot of neighbors. I mean, we live in a pretty big tillage area. So um, at, at the end of the day, you know, it was really just about trying to find the, the best way to farm. You know, we, I've got kids that maybe one day could take over the farm and, and that sort of thing, you know, leaving the land better than what it was when we, when we got it. So what have you learned so far? You've been doing this for a while. <laughs> yeah, the first, the first farm was about eight years ago. Uh, that was kind of our first experience with it. You know, we just kind of hit the easy button and did oats and radishes. Those are going to winter kill. We're not going to have to, you know, really anything to get any residue really to get through in the spring. So, you know, as, as time went on, we just kept getting, you know, further and further down the road with cover crops and, you know, just overall learning, you know, what the, the best way to farm is. That's so the benefits of cover crops, obviously we've heard a lot about it, mm -hmm. but what's been your personal experience from, from doing this? How's it made a difference in your soil health? I, I think, you know, and it's hard to quantify because all soils are different, but I, I think right now what we're seeing is our nutrient cycling is better. Um, we've implemented chicken litter uh, into, the op, into the operation as far as getting, you know, we started out four years ago putting three ton of chicken litter on. Now we're down to two ton to the acre, putting that on. So I feel like we're cycling nutrients better. It's, but again, it's, it's really hard to quantify that. We're maintaining yield and that's kind of been, you know, the most important, obviously the most important thing. But then the other benefits are, you know, less, less steel, less horsepower, less labor, you know, all that comes into your bottom line. What about the mix of cover crops? Because you mentioned what you started with. So have you changed yeah. the mix and has that changed then what your outcomes? The mixes have definitely changed, but it's kind of has changed with the application method. We did a lot of aerial applications early on, you know, experimenting with that. You know, we were trying to maximize the growth of the season. We're up here north of 70, 45 minutes north of Indianapolis. So we don't really have the growing season late in the fall to get really a lot of growth on products that after harvest. So um, early on, we were pretty diverse in the mixes. We were putting crimson clover, vetch, um, radishes, turnips, oats, rye. You know, we'd, we'd pretty much done a concoction of things. But now, now we're, we're, we've kind of simplified things a little bit uh, from an after corn standpoint. So things that are going, ground that's going to soybeans, we're probably just going to put cereal rye out there after the, after the harvest. And we're putting 60 to 75 pounds to the acre out there, just using that as the year to grow the biomass, maybe get some weed suppression out of that going into uh, the soybean year. And then ahead of corn, so when, this, when the beans come off, our beans normally come off a little bit earlier. We can be a little bit more diverse with the mix. Um, typically oats, rye, radish, and rapeseed are, that's kind of the, the blend that we have right now. We might throw some crimson clover in there on the early stuff that comes off. Not really trying to grow any nitrogen right there. That's, we live in an area that, it's, it's really hard to, to quantify that to begin with, but then to even have the season to get that crimson clo clover established and take any type of credit from it is, is pretty tough. So right now the cover crops, it's not been so much soil fertility, it's been more weed control. Is that what you're seeing then? Yeah, yeah, I think so for us, yeah. The seeding method still airplanes or what are you doing? Uh, typically we'll drill the cover crop in in the fall after harvest. Okay. Uh, we've done high clearance, the high clearance rigs that run through the field. Um, a lot of aerial applications, you know, early on, but that, that's pretty much the other only really application method would be broadcasting with fertilizer. And we, we just, we've been using chicken litter the last four years. So that's not really an option with that stuff. 
have you been then doing some controls against regular tillage and no cover crops and what are you finding? Oh yeah, definitely. So um, no yield loss was, you know, that was kind of the, that's the main thing we like to drive home for sure is we're not in those strips and we split farms early on as well. Just, you know, took a 40 and split it 20-20 or, you know, took an 80 and split it 40-40 just to evaluate, you know, the differences in, in yield. But then, you know, from a fertility standpoint, um, you know, like I said earlier, I feel like we're cycling nutrients better. It's, it's hard to quantify that. So maintaining yield but then your input costs i'm guessing have gone down gone down considerably yeah when you talk about you know less fuel less horsepower less steel i mean we've gotten rid of all our big horsepower machines all our tillage equipment you know so that's a fall pass that's a spring pass cultivator rolling basket that sort of thing so really been able to put that money towards other equipment maybe planter upgrades and things like that that's that's kind of the big thing that i hit on as well um I think the, the planter setup is, is the key to being successful with, with cover crops. You really got to have the right setup on that planter to get through it, be it downforce, row cleaners, uh, the right closing mill system. I mean, it, there's, it's not just the you know, easy button with cover crops. There, it's definitely a, it, there's more management to cover crops and no-till. I wanted to ask that then. So what changes have you made on your planter when you went to planting behind cover crops? Then? Yeah, so I think when we started out, we were just, you know, like I said, easy button oats, oats and radishes. That, that, that's going to winter kill. There's not going to be anything there to really get through in the spring. We just had a simple no-till coulter, and a, I think we had a rubber and a spike closing wheel back there. As we've progressed on to, um, you know, more, more product that makes it through the winter, and we're planting, you know, in some areas we're planting green, just experimenting with that as well. Uh, we've had to, you know, add row cleaners, you know, different, different, different setups. We're using a different uh, disc opener as well, serrated edge on the disc opener. So, just different things that we're, you know, we're always, we're always experimenting with, with things, which it can drive my dad nuts a lot of times. So, <laughs> well, what are the future experiments? Then, what are you still wanting to try and figure out? Uh, the, the planting green and, and get really getting the, the rye to help control the, the weeds and, you know, and maybe, maybe even transition into, you know, some organic acres. I mean, it takes a lot of time to get that. And I just, I, w I really want to have it figured out before we just went in and did it. Right. So, yeah. You are non-GMO right yeah. now, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Was that mostly to take advantage of a market there, or what were you looking there, at? There's a market close to us here that has that, that we're able to get uh, premium on the corn and on the soybeans. But yeah, you know, really, we're just really to evaluate the you know the weed suppression that we're getting out of the rye. Maybe maybe go in different different planting methods. Maybe maybe it'd be better to broadcast the rye res to drill it. Maybe we'll get more coverage across the farm versus just being in rows. That's that's kind of where we were kind of where we're going with that. Just okay. you know take advantage of the uh, of the premium and then can we can we eliminate some of our herbicide cost at the end of the day yeah. so with technology days then what are some of the things then that you're trying to convey to the, the folks coming by here I think the main the main message that I try to convey is give it give it a chance if, if you if you go into it with a negative attitude as far as transitioning some acres in a cover crop you're not going to be successful the, the big thing to convey is can we can we maintain yield and keep that, if you're going to evaluate cover crops, keep it in the same field year in and year out. Don't, don't move it around. Keep that tillage field that, or that no-till cover crop field, whether it's 100 acres, 200 acres, whatever they're going to experiment with, keep it in that one spot. So you get a good three to four year evaluation of that. That's where we really started seeing the benefits was after about year three. 
do you think that more farmers will need to look at this just because of some of the, the sustainable farming, carbon sequestration, these types of things coming along? Yeah. We're going to have to look at some more of this, aren't we? Definitely. Definitely. I think there'll be, whether it's, you know, I'm not saying it's going to be mandated by any means, but yeah, there are definitely some administration things coming down that, that, that could force that issue. But, you know, there, there's a whole other market with the carbon credit stuff going on. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. So far, you're seeing quite a bit of interest from people wanting to at least try some of this, I'm guessing. Yeah, definitely. As, as, as Bex has grown across the Midwest, our corn and soybeans, you know, and same, same way with our cover crop and forage business and, and that sort of thing. This time of year, there are many field days taking place across the country. I hope you enjoyed some of what I learned on a visit to this field day, and it's helpful to what you do. As always, thank you for joining us either on your radio station or the Farm in the Countryside podcast. And remember, you can follow the show on Facebook. That's a place you can catch past shows, too. Also, you can catch our daily radio feature, American Countryside, heard on local radio stations, and you can follow it on Facebook as well. I'm Andrew McRae. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you next time on Farming the Countryside. Farming the Countryside has been brought to you by Pivot BioProven. Get what you paid for, the nitrogen that stays put, whether or not. Learn more at pivotbio.com.